is needed. Uh, and so we're going to read here and, and look through this portion of the scripture, which is you know, most well known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm not so fond of that title because I'd rather give that title to John chapter 17, uh, which is actually the Lord's Prayer, where he prays for us before his crucifixion. But this is uh, where Jesus teaches us about Prayer, And it's interesting as we go through, as you look at the progression that we've gone through. So the last few weeks, the last three passages we've gone through, I think are all connected and are all very important. So we went a few weeks ago and we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we drew the lessons out of that that we saw there that uh, Jesus was pushing home for us those two great commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so at the foundation of all that Christianity is and what we are as the people of God, it is to love God. And if we love God, we will love others. And so that comes at the foundation. Then we moved to the next uh, event that happened as Luke brought us. And that was that incident or the, the episode there at Mary and Martha's house where Jesus brings home the point through the illustration of the way the two different women are are working in this thing, that the priority of our life is God and his word. So, so far in the last few few, uh, weeks, we've gone through the Good Samaritan, which is the foundation, that we are to love God with everything, and as we love God with everything, we will love others. He's then moved us on to the very next of the foundational truths of all of Christianity. Not only are we to love uh, God and love others, then we will love his word, and now we come to this portion, which is prayer. The great fundamentals of the Christian faith, love God, love his word, and love prayer. The three fundamentals all right together here. He's going to draw that out a little bit more too. In the the next few verses past this, he'll talk to us a little bit more about prayer as well. But as we come to Luke chapter 11, you'll notice that it has some great similarities to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the version of the Lord's Prayer that most people are common with uh, or more familiar with. It has one or two more details in it uh, through the passage. But while they are very similar, they almost identical, they take place at different times and in different places, which suggests to us that this was something that Jesus commonly taught in his teaching, was how to pray. So the Lord's Prayer, as we have it here, we've actually got it two times in two different places. So it wasn't one time Jesus taught about prayer. It expresses to us that Jesus was probably teaching about prayer just like this on more than one occasion throughout his ministry, showing us the importance of it. Now, as we um, look here at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, like us to read it all together. So I put it on the screen behind me. Now, I'll read verse 1. You'll see the verses marked. And then from verse 2, 3, and 4, I'll ask you to read with me. I'll let you know as they come up. So this first screen, I'll read together. And then we'll read the rest uh, as one. So it begins, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, if you'll join with me as we read. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I know there was a few hesitancies along the way because you're wanting to put extra words in or say the Matthew version, and that's okay. Um, we'll be looking through this, and the, the differences are just added detail. But before we go on, let's have a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to hear your teaching on prayer, we ask that you would encourage us and teach us that we might learn so that we can find in prayer the beauty and the vitality and the majesty that you have endued it with. Lord, that our prayers would be uh, not just heard, we know you hear them. Lord, that they would be for your glory and we would see them answered and your kingdom progressed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We um, often have two problems in our prayer life, and they're really mostly connected uh, in many ways, I think. And one of those is that many of us have never really been taught how to pray. Uh, we come and we get saved, or maybe we're brought up in Christian environment or whatever, and we... Uh, assume or it is assumed that well prayer is just part of it and you just we get told some basics but never really taught how to pray because we assume it's oh, well pray it's, it's just what you do God you'll learn it as you go along uh, from a few basics but as we see from the life of Jesus Jesus taught how to pray it was a discipline that he taught how to do uh, and so that I think that the fact that many of us probably in the early days, maybe didn't have a lot of training or teaching on how to pray, what it then leads to often is we become a little bit indifferent in our prayer because we don't feel like our prayers are what they ought to be. We struggle perhaps with how to pray, what to pray, when to pray, and a whole bunch of other things. And sometimes we don't even really uh, grasp hold of how God answers prayers. And so we're expecting things that perhaps are not rightly to be expected. We all long, and there is no doubt, I think every Christian longs for vibrant, powerful, life-changing prayer, um, but for many of us we're often unsure on how to have that and how to achieve it. And so we end up um, in a rut, kind of praying through a list perhaps or whatever. One of the great Puritans of the past, Thomas Brooks, said, the power of religion and godliness lives, thrives, or dies, as closet prayer lives, thrives, or dies. Godliness never rises to a higher pitch than when men keep closest to their closets. Um, that drawing on what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, that we're to pray in the closet. That is, it's private prayer. It's not that you have to have a special room, but your private uh, time of seeking God alone. This is where the life and vitality of our Christianity is. And so this is what we want to look at this morning, is looking through what Jesus has to say, and we're really just going to follow this through and remind ourselves of what Jesus has to say here. Understanding what it is. I think I've mentioned this before, that one of the things that we often get distracted by in our prayer is we're praying to see God's hand, that is to see God work and do things. And we seek his hand first before we seek his face. 
this. So we're looking for God to work before we're actually looking to see God himself and to communicate with God and him in his own being. And so what we need is we need prayers that switch that around, that our prayers begin by seeking God's face, understanding him and seeing him and learning him and knowing him, and then seeking God's hand, seeking him to work and do what he needs to do. And so that's what we want to look at as we see what Jesus shows us here, to seek God's face and to know how to do that. So... On a number has happened on a number of occasions here. This begins by Jesus being asked how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray, it says in verse 1. And so he did. And we want to examine that just briefly this morning and looking firstly at uh, Jesus teaching us how to pray. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that what we have here is this whole thing comes about, if you look here, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It strikes me as a very interesting time here that this comes up, a significant moment, because what happens is the disciples here, whoever it was, whichever one it was, asked him, was motivated to ask Jesus about prayer after having heard Jesus pray. So they're listening to Jesus pray and something about the way Jesus prayed. Maybe what he said or how he said it or the passion with which he prayed. But there was something about the way Jesus prayed that motivated this disciple to say, Jesus, teach me, teach us to pray. Jesus, of course, he's going to know how to pray. He knew what to do. He, and, and so what he has and has to teach us is well worth listening to. You know, Jesus does speak, and we mentioned this before, you know, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus does speak of praying in private. You know, he talks about that closet uh, prayer, going to your closet. The, the picture there wasn't that we always had to hide away, and it doesn't mean that all prayer must be in private. It was a contrast to uh, the Pharisees who were always praying out in public so they would be seen. When he says for us to pray in private, yes, it means that we need to have our own time together with him but it also means that our prayers are not meant to be drawing attention to ourselves. So even those times when we're praying in public, it's not about people looking at me. The purpose and the point of prayer is to draw attention to God, not to ourselves. The, the praying in private is important and the drawing of attention to God and not ourselves. But the place of prayer really is irrelevant. Where you pray doesn't matter. You can pray anywhere. The Bible shows people praying in public. It shows people play, praying in private. It shows them praying in the desert or praying in a boat. It shows them praying in jail. It shows them praying in our home or in a group or all alone. There's all sorts of times and places people are praying. And nor does Jesus even mention here the posture of prayer. So he doesn't say to pray, get down on your knees. Or, or sit down. It doesn't mention any posture of prayer. In fact, the Bible shows many different postures of prayer. You see people praying standing up, some looking up, some looking down, some praying while they're seated, some praying while they're kneeling, some pray while they're laid face down on the ground. 
Now, much of the posture of prayer comes from how we feel at the moment of prayer. Those who were laying face down on the ground were usually those praying and weeping over their sin and feeling like they are no higher than the dust of the ground. But there's no particular posture you need to take in prayer. Jesus assumes here that we will be praying because when he begins his teaching, he says, when you pray, when you pray. He doesn't dictate the time. It doesn't have to be morning, evening, and, uh, or noon. It can be at any time. You can go to prayer at any instant and have, have it for any length and for any reason. If this is how Jesus teaches to pray, we know it will be satisfying, fulfilling, and answered. Again, the, one of the, the Puritans of, of old uh, Thomas Watson this time was speaking to this prayer and how it is of benefit. This is a pattern for prayer. And he gives us two benefits, as you can see behind there, about why we should use this pattern, this framework for our prayer. And the first is that error in prayer is prevented. That is, if we follow the pattern that Jesus sets out for prayer, then we won't be praying in the wrong way or for the wrong things or with the wrong manner. If we follow his pattern, we know that's what God delights in. And so we will avoid any errors in prayer. It will also show us that if we pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray, our prayers will be answered. Because we'll be praying in the will of God. And God says, if you ask anything in my name or in my will... I will do it. So if we follow the pattern that Jesus makes, it keeps us from praying wrongly and it allows us to pray within the will of God, which allows us to have prayers answered. And so as we go through, I simply want to look at each of these phrases and remind us of the importance and the significance of what each of these are and then help us shape that a little bit into how we can pray. You know, this is Jesus' instruction on how to pray. This is not his instruction on what to pray. Okay, so although, in fact, you know, the, the early church was so adamant about this, this prayer and that this was, was uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer, and although that at times they would recite it, they would become angry when unbelievers would recite this prayer because of its significance to us. It teaches us what Jesus wants and how we can pray. It's brief. It's simple, yet it's entirely comprehensive. Uh, it has essentially two parts with six petitions. The first section has the three position, uh, petitions which are toward God. So it addresses God. It speaks to God of who he is and what he desires and how we need to fit into that. The last half speaks to our needs and what our needs are with God, about our human need. So we want to just quickly look through these thoughts this morning. Say it's not, I don't intend to be brilliant this morning, just simply looking through it. He begins, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. You know, there are many aspects of our relationship with God which are expressed in this prayer. If you look through this prayer, you'll find that our relationship with God is expressed as being a worshipper of God. He is the great God who deserves worship, and we are the ones who worship him. There is the aspect of our relationship here where he is the mighty ruler, and we are those who are his subjects. It speaks also of him being the master and us being the servant. 
There is a relationship here which shows him as our saviour. And there is the relationship in it which shows him as our guide. So in this simple prayer, there's five or six different ways in which our relationship with God is expressed. But it is the way that this prayer begins. It is the foundation of this prayer which is the most beautiful. Our Father. You know, it's not uncommon for us to begin our prayers or to uh, pray often by addressing God as great and glorious God or the majestic God or putting some great thing. But one of the most beautiful ways to start your prayer is Father, Heavenly Father, dear Father, our Father. It is a very personal, very important part of our relationship with God. It is the most intensely personal part of it. It shows us that, uh, that God deeply loves us, that we have a unique relationship with him. See, in that word, Father, in that title, Father, all of God's glorious attributes are wrapped up and brought to us in a very personal and meaningful way. That's an astonishing reality of our relationship with God, isn't it? I mean, it's easy sometimes to, to think of God through some of these other relationships of, as saviour or as majestic or, or, or powerful or master that because we can look around and we can see that glory, but with the most beautiful and the most striking and the most astonishing part of our relationship with God is that he calls us to call him Father. We are allowed and beckoned to him by this title. It is a title, it is a word of great privilege. We don't have to approach him in timidity, not fear. Notice also that it's in the plural. So it means it's not just a private prayer, but together, as we pray together, we can call him our Father, which not only shows the unity we have with him, but the unity that he brings with each of us. But he tempers that a little, well, not temper, tempers the wrong word, but he matches that, doesn't he? He gives us the, the most personal and the most gloriously uh, beautiful relationship word we have with him, and that is Father. And then it says, our Father in heaven. Which kind of takes us to that, that other great thing, because when we think of in heaven, we think of majesty. We think of transcendence. We think of eternality. And so in, in that one little sentence, our Father in heaven, we have the most majestic of concepts of God and the most beautifully personal concept of our relationship with God, all wrapped up in the one idea, the one beautiful name. He is not just well-meaning, but he is a Father who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-caring. And so for our Father in heaven, he continues, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, a word we don't use very often anymore except uh, around the end of October when we speak of Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, which has the same thought, it comes from the same uh, idea, uh, but hallowed, a term we don't use often. Hallowed is a term of worship. It is a term which means to be holy, to be separate, to be set apart. It is not a call, so as we pray here and we say, hallowed be your name, it's not a call that God needs to be holy, but that he should be treated as holy because he is. 
holy. It is this statement, this idea, after we have approached God as our personal and loving, transcendent God, it is this statement here which gives our prayer its meaning, its purpose. To say, hallowed be your name, it means essentially this, it is for your sake. I am coming to pray, my Father, for your glory. I am coming to pray to you, my Father, because you are worthy. That's what hallowed be your name means. It means I'm coming to him because he deserves it. He is worthy of worship. It is for his sake. So what is the primary purpose of prayer? The primary purpose of prayer is not to get what I want, but to give God what he deserves. That's the primary purpose of prayer. See, we've often, perhaps out of uh, just not understanding, because we haven't had the teaching or the training or whatever, we've often come to it backwards and we see prayer as a way to get what I want. I go to God with my list of needs for me or for others, and I'm going to him so that I'll get what I want. But the primary purpose of prayer is not for me to get what I want, but to give God what he deserves. Worship and honor and glory. To seek and proclaim his glory. This is the only enduring motive of prayer. Consider for a minute the things we pray for. We pray, uh, you know, for, for as a, a short example, we pray for things like, uh, like healing. We pray for things like help in our spiritual battle uh, daily and the things that we, we do. We pray for growth in our Christian life and so on, a number of these things. Now, how many of those things... When we get to heaven, are we going to be praying for? None of them. When we get into eternity, we're not going to be praying for healing. That'll be taken care of. When we get into eternity, we're not going to be praying about spiritual battle because the battle has been won and Satan has been defeated and we live in perfection. We're not going to be praying for spiritual growth because we are with the great teacher of all teachers. We are in eternity. All of those things, the many things that we pray for here are temporary. The only thing in our prayers that is eternal is worship worship will continue through eternity the main focus of prayer is worship it is the only enduring purpose it is the only eternal part of our prayers now in that it doesn't mean that we're not to pray for temporal things but that the temporal things aren't to be the main purpose, the focus of our prayers. There are two great reasons to pray, which we see in this pattern. To say the prayer is divided into two. And the first is, God is worthy. The second reason we pray is we are needy. God is worthy and we are needy. Psalm 40 verse 16 and 17 says, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. So that's the prayer of God is worthy. Then he continues in verse 17. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. See, a simple prayer. Two verses long in scripture. Verse 16, 17, Psalm 40. One part, the great purpose of prayer, God is worthy. And with God is worthy, he then shows that he 
is needy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom. I'm not going to God for my kingdom, but his kingdom, his rule. All prayer, all true prayer, willingly submits to God's purpose, plan, and glory. It's to submit to God's rule and his will. Say, what is your purpose, dear God? Let my requests, let my heart, let my worship be in tune with what you desire, with what your purpose is, with what your plan is. To pray for God's purposes in salvation to be fulfilled. It's submitting to his rule in this world. To say, all right, here's all of the things that I desire, all of the things that I need. The, the parts of my life which need to grow, the good things I'm going to approach God for. But how do all of these things which I need, how do they fit into the great purpose of God? How do I need to submit those into his purpose? It is not only just to look at how things work out in this world, but your kingdom come, your will be done, is also for us to look forward. It is a call for God to come. The call for him to bring his great and glorious purpose to an end. But as it takes our prayers and the things that we need here on earth and the things that we need in the temporal, and instead of just falling our eyes to see it down here, we look up to see what is to come. It gives our prayers an eternal focus to look beyond just the here and now, thinking not only of the temporal, but of the eternal. Those are the phrases he brings us here which speak to God, which cause us to look up to God, the first parts of our prayer. And then comes the statements which express our need. Give us day by day our daily bread. It's not hard, it's straightforward. This is a statement of trust. It's a statement that God is sufficient our food, our daily provisions, the things that we need to survive, the things that God has promised to us, our needs in the physical realm. It's to seek God in trust for the things that we need in this world. It is a recognition that all good things come from God, that he is the supplier of all that is good. It's praise, really, more than asking, in that we're seeking God knowing that he has promised to take care. It springs from dependence. It is a daily call of what I need, not just what I want. Then moving on, he says, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. And this is at the heart of the prayer, really. The need of the prayer. Jesus will talk more about this later. Confession. It comes to confession. Letting our understanding of God from the beginning of prayer, put our life into perspective. You see, if I start my prayers by looking up at God, by addressing God as as Father and seeing his relationship and looking at who he is and trying to align my life and my prayer and my request into those great concepts of who God is, by the time I start thinking about my own request, the way I request has already changed. 
I've already changed my thinking from usually how I started in my prayer to here because now I am seeing God. I have put my mind in the space to think on God. And then by the time I start to think about myself and the needs that I have to speak for, whether it's for myself or for others, I'm seeing them in a different perspective. Seeing that perhaps some of the things that I need to speak about God are not so much needs that, I, uh, that he needs to take care of, but sins that I need to confess. Seeing that my relationship isn't what it ought to be. Seeking God for forgiveness. Your confession keeps that relationship vibrant and healthy. The relationship begins with forgiveness of sin. And then the confession of sin keeps it vibrant and healthy. Reminds us of the Good Samaritan, those that are forgiven will be forgiving as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And then, at least in Luke's account of this, brings us to the last statement, do not lead us into temptation. Of course, God is not going to lead us to be tempted to sin. So the word temptation here is used more in the sense of trial, as it often is through Scripture, much like in in James chapter 1. Do not lead us into temptation in the sense of trial because God isn't going to lead us to sin. He does test us and he puts us in positions which try our faith and move us to grow deeper in faith. These words are a call for protection from God as we move forward in our spiritual life because our heart's desire is to to avoid sin. But think for a moment what happens when you're put into a place of trial or trying times. As you move into the trying times, there are temptations to sin in those trials. Temptations to reject God, or to disbelieve God, or to not trust God. This is a call to God, as you bring me into these trials, help me not to reject. Help me not to stray. Help me not to fall into sin, but to grow. See, we find these trials all over the place there as God blesses us. There is the temptation in blessing to become proud. And when we find ourselves in the other trials of of difficulty and trouble, we are tempted to lose sight of God. This is a prayer for God to protect us, to keep us safe, that the purpose of his work would take place. These are the basics of the prayer that he gives us. And so I want to think just for a few moments, and again, some of this isn't new for most of you, and that is how to transform our prayer. So that's that's fine, you say. We look at that and we can see all that and how it it works, but what does that mean for when I pray? How, How does that change how I pray? Now, I have given a... Um, an example uh, that we'll, we'll look at a little, and that's the larger sheet. Now, on that, that's not, that's not given to you because I do it all right and because uh, I'm the perfect example to follow. It's simply an example to see how I go through the process. If, if prayer isn't meant to just be to you know, recite this or to go through a list. What is it meant to be? How are we meant to pray like this for Jesus regularly? How, how is our prayer life supposed to, to come like this? 
And so there are, are four basic questions we can ask ourselves which find themselves shaped around this prayer. Uh, beginning with reverence, and that is asking ourselves who is God. I think that one of the, the things we have lost in prayer is this. We have forgotten to start our prayer life with God's word. Sometimes we pray and we read God's word after, which is okay. Or we pray because we've got things on our mind. And our prayer life simply becomes that, just prayer life. The most potent way you can pray is to pray with an open Bible. Open your Bible. Whether, no matter how you're reading through it, if you're reading through the Bible, if you have a, a set pattern, whatever the way you're reading through your Bible or doing your, your reading, sit with the open Bible, read that, meditate on it, and then with your Bible open and with those words fresh in your mind, that's when we pray. Yes, yes, we need those short prayers through the day and we need those times where I, I just need to shoot off the quick prayer to God or, or cry out for help in that moment. But those short prayers, those prayers which come through the day are the prayers which are fed by the prayer where I sit and I feed on God's word. This type of prayer. Okay, so this is our prayer of devotion. This is not the, the simple prayers where we, we need God's help right here and right now and say, God, I need help now. This is the prayer that feeds all of those. And so we need to sit with an open Bible. As we sit with an open Bible, we can ask ourselves these questions. And so I divide it up into those four things and start up on the, the top left with this, this question. Who is God? As you sit with that Bible open at the passage you're, you're in, what have you just learned about who God is? What does it say? You know, it's easy to start like this with the Psalms because they're so easy to find. And that's the example there is a Psalm. You can sit through and on the back of the paper, you'll see how, I've, how I do that. I sit and scribble and write and pull things out and, and find names of God or find aspects of God through the, the passage. That's how I do it. But sit and you look and say, what have I learned about God? This is the Our Father, hallowed be your name moment. That is, you are worthy. How do I see that you are worthy? Well, in this psalm, I see that you are my great protector. Or I see that you are a deliverer. Or as I read through this gospel, I can see today that you are the Savior. You're looking for what it says about who God is. That it will enlarge your mind about who God is. This is that beginning. It's to take your prayer and to lift your eyes up off of this world and to look up and to see God. And how he has revealed himself to us. This is reverence. How do we do that? Ask yourself as you read through that thing, who is God? What does this passage reveal to me about God? About what he does or about who he is? What does it show about his character? The more we come to the Bible like this, the more vast God becomes. We begin to see God more completely. We see his attributes interact. As we read one passage one day, and we may find here that what jumps out to us on this day is that God is a defender. 
And we're looking at how that passage speaks to us about God being a defender. And maybe a next time we come to a different passage. And again, here in this passage, we see again that God is a defender. But this time, he's showing him as a defender in a different context. And now we start to see that great attribute that God is the defender of his people in new ways. More deeply, more intimately. We see him more completely. We begin to understand his name and who he is. Having thought for moments, and you know, it's, it's okay, and I say this often, if this is the part in your time of prayer, whenever that is, if this is the part of that prayer, then, and that's the only thing you get through in the time you have, to sit down and to look, and, and you've spent however long you have there and you haven't gotten to any requests, Uh, You haven't pleaded with God about anything else. But in that moment, that's all you've had time for. That time is not wasted. Later on in the day, you'll have time to bring up those requests, to bring up those other things you need to pray about God for. And do you know what's going to feed your requests later in that day or later in that time? It's what you learned about God and meditated on and spent all that time with before. It's not time wasted to look at God's face. And to see him. The next thing we get to is not just asking who is God, but then we come to that your kingdom come, your will be done moment. That is, how do I respond to that? How do I need to take who I am and what I am and shape it and put it into God's purpose? How do I need to align my life by what I have seen God say of himself? How should I respond? Revelation, this is what God shows us in his word, revelation always requires a response. Always. And so when we come to God's word and we start looking at it and saying, this is who God is, what does that mean for me then? How does it mean I need to reshape my life, to align my life more completely with how I have seen God Start submitting specific dimensions or aspects of our life to his authority. These things will come naturally. As we start to focus our mind on God and we see who he is, we will naturally start to see ourselves in light of how we have seen God and we will see how we have come short. And we will see, ah, this is who God is and this is what he expects. But I can see that I'm not trusting him in this area of my life. I need to bring this area of my life into alignment with who he is. Then we can get into, or we've spent some time looking at God and shaping our lives, and then we can start asking, what should I pray about? And we've, we've, all got, we've all got those things on our minds, the, the people around us that need praying for, the, the, the needs in our own life that need praying for, and perhaps we keep a list. Maybe we keep a, a prayer list. Never start with a prayer list. Work your way to it. Because by the time we've gone through these aspects and we've sat and we've looked and we've seen who God is and we've thought about how my life needs to be brought back into that, by the time I get to asking God for what needs to be done in my life, and the lives around me. I've already got a new perspective on that. So I start taking into account, ah, here is the need of my brother and sister in Christ right now. I can see how this attribute I have 
just learnt about God can play into there. So I'm going to start praying that they would learn to trust God this way or that God would meet their need because this is his character. I'm starting to connect the character of God that I have just seen to the reality of the need that I have. So instead of just saying, God, I need you to help me at work today because uh, I've got a, a difficult meeting I don't understand, I don't know how to deal with. You're, we start looking and say, okay, I well, this morning I've spent time, just say in, in James 1, and I see that God is the giver of all wisdom and all good gifts. Dear God, I'm in a meeting today and I don't know what to do. Would you give me your good gift of wisdom today? Righteousness. And we start connecting what we've read with what we need. Instead of just giving a list, we start to talk to God about who he is. What should I pray about? We'll be amazed how our frame of mind changes the way that we request after we begin looking at the very nature of God. And then that brings us to the last of the questions that do not lead us into temptation to the field of prayer, and that is, where do I go from here? So what do I do now? And this is, uh, you, uh, one man said it this way, and I think he's, he's got this exactly right. This is that, that point where we get to the so that. The so that. So I'm praying all of this so that. Why are you praying it? Why do you need to, so uh, I'm praying for this so that this will come about. I'm praying all of this so that God will be glorified in my life as I try and lead the people at work in this decision. Or I'm praying uh, about this so that my children will see that I can give you praise in whatever. What's the reason? Where are we going with this? How are we going to put it into to practice? We can't do it alone, so we need God's help. God, I'm praying for this so that this will take place. Don't lead me into temptation. Give me the strength. Give me the wisdom. Give me the courage to be able to do this. Let it be seen. Let your glory be seen throughout. What does the passage say that can encourage, help, or challenge us? That's the key question. I'm praying this so that. And you can see that on that, that sheet I've given you, how I've worked through that. I think on that, the last one, that so that, I've, my so that in that psalm was verse 9. Because that was the psalmist's so that. Why all that he wrote in the psalm? It's right there. So that you'll be glorified, so that people will see your majesty. You know, in, although it doesn't have it here in Luke's account of the prayer, Matthew, as he ends, takes us back to the beginning and he draws us to think more of God. It doesn't hurt us to end our prayers where we began our prayers with reverence and worship again. Who is God? And praise him as we finish these things. Your prayer is one of the greatest resources that we have of God. It's far more potent than just asking God about stuff. In fact, it's, although at times in our life it feels dull 
and lifeless. Prayer is anything but dull and lifeless. This is why we have the instruction that Jesus gives us about prayer. Part of our problem is is because we so easily fall into praying back to front. Instead of seeing God first to seek his face, we go to our lists of needs and we seek his hand. But if we'd start with his face, we will see his hand work. Getting it the right way around. Praying isn't about having the right words or being eloquent or any of that sort of thing. And I try not for that to be part of what what happens here. It's When we pray, it doesn't matter whether you use all the correct words or sound good or you have eloquence we're not worried about about the beautiful sounding prayer we're looking for prayers that are simply from the heart prayers that seek for the glory of god prayer is one of our defining characteristics as a people of god love passion for god's word and prayer These are the things that define God's people. So let's be a people of prayer. And pray so that God is glorified. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a great privilege that is. To be able to come boldly and call you Father. We thank you, our God, that you have sent Jesus Christ to us. And that, as part of the great work, the great message that he brought, including the salvation that he brought, is that you brought in him teaching and instruction. In him we have found out not just that we can approach you, but how to approach you with great boldness and confidence to know that you will hear and you will answer confess, dear God, that too often my prayers are selfish, too often the wrong way around, too often motivated by the wrong things. Lord, I pray that we'd seek your face first. Lord, that my life, our lives would be aligned with your truth, that we might find in our prayer lives power and passion and answer. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.